you would, I'd have you turn to 1 John chapter 5 again. Tonight we're going to begin in verse 6. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 6. Have you ever been called as a witness to some event? Maybe as a, uh, a witness for a court case, maybe as a witness for a, uh, an auto accident. It, it seems that news stations are really capable of finding the most ridiculous people that they can find to be their witnesses that they're going to put on TV. And I know one of the things that we really enjoy uh, at work is when we come across a funny interview, uh, we, we want to share that with each other and, and have a laugh. But I remember a few years ago, we had a, a church member whose house caught fire. And, uh, and this was you know, in, in the Mansville area, so you may know, may know of this situation. But I, I remember I was pastoring at, at, at Mill Creek, and uh, I walked out the, the front door of the church uh, because it looked really dark outside. And I turned and looked, and I saw this big black cloud coming from not too far away. And so uh, I was able to, to walk down the street uh, to where one of our church members' house was. There was black smoke just, just billowing out from her house, and the, the fire department was already there rushing to uh, contain the fire to keep it from spreading to the neighbors' houses. It was already too late by that point for the church members' house. Uh, but I remember being there all day long, you know, trying to comfort and, and support our church member. I, I remember uh, trying to help and support the fire department as best as I could without, you know, being trained as a firefighter. And uh, there were a ton of people around, things going on all over the place, all kinds of people around. And, and then the news starts coming in, the, the news vans, and and they start interviewing people. And, and, and then at the end of the day, I go home and I watch the, the coverage of this uh, horrific event on, on the news, and the witness that they got had to be the most ridiculously dressed, hillbilly, backwoods-sounding person they could find, and, uh, and that was who they put on the news. And, and it was embarrassing, to, to tell you the truth, to say, oh, well, that's, that's where I'm from, is the, uh, that place... But, I mean, at least that witness told the truth. I mean, everything she said was exactly true, but it was just the, the person that they found was the least well-spoken of, of the people that were around at that time. But, you know, uh, the Apostle John, as he's writing this, he's now advanced in years. He, he's an elderly man, and he, he wrote this apostle because there was a heretical teaching is coming up in the church. There was, he was writing to confront and to refute these heretical notions that a growing number of false teachers had began to teach as they infiltrated the church. And they advocated for an early form of Gnosticism. And, and Gnosticism denied the true humanity of Christ, and they prized the intellectual acquisition of some sort of spiritual secret knowledge that you were able to gain through some sort of personal experience over a, a practical lifestyle of holiness and obedience to the teachings of Christ. And so here, as part of his final exhortation to the saints, as they were being bombarded by these heretical teachings, John is reminding his readers of the witness that God has for Christ. The previous passage, as we looked at last week, talked about these overcomers, 
as those who believe in the Lord, and as Jesus says, Lord and Savior, and the Christian bears the testimony of Christ in ourselves, and that's validated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that knowledge is essential for us if we are going to try to live an overcoming life, to try to live a victorious life, to be an overcomer. Well, here, John presents God's own testimony to confirm that Jesus is indeed the Christ. In fact, throughout this passage, John uses the word testify and testimony several times. And and to testify means that you speak as a witness, that you were there, you saw what was going on, you you have an intimate knowledge of it. And so John speaks here of the witnesses that God presents to affirm Jesus Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ, the Messiah that was long awaited by the Jews, the the anointed one. Messiah, Christ, they they both mean the same thing, anointed one. And so God gives two kinds of testimony. He, He provides external witnesses, and he provides an internal witness. And the term witness here is the, is the dominant theme of this section. The passage concerns the witness or the testimony, not of men, but of God and of the Spirit regarding the great truth about the deity and the humanity of Jesus the Christ. So let's begin this evening, <coughs> excuse me, let's begin by jumping in with verse 6. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 6 says this, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, He is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. The Spirit is the truth. Hold hold on to that. You want to put that in your pocket for later. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. So God presents these external witnesses. God presents these three external witnesses to the person of Christ. The first thing I want us to see here is is notice the subtle shift in how John describes Jesus. In verse 5, he says, Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And then verse 6, he turns around and says, Jesus the Christ. Jesus Christ. The, The shift is subtle, but it's significant. See, Jesus, the Son of God, is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one that the Jews had long been waiting for that would come to save them. He is the anointed one, the Christ, who came to earth not just to save the Jews, but to save the whole world. And this is the truth that John is defending, that Christ is the Son of God who was incarnate in a man in the form of a man, was 100% man, and that he is the Christ. And so throughout this letter, John uses this refrain, we know. We know. It's not speculation. It's not something he's trying to figure out. It's something he knows who Jesus is. John began his letter by pointing to his own witness, all the way back in in chapter 1, 
He says, I was there. I, I felt him with my hands. I saw him with my own eyes. I, I was able to smell him. He, he doesn't actually say that, but that's how well John knows Jesus. And so throughout this, he's been writing as a, as a witness, but one single witness is not sufficient for most people to believe anything. And, and certainly the law of, of God requires a, something, and so I, I want us to take a look at that first. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, The one condemned to die is to be executed on the testimony of two or three witnesses. No one is to be executed on the testimony of a single witness. So therefore, God has made not only available the witness of John, but he's also provided three additional, three extra external witnesses that John points out here. So let us look at the first one. The first one is the witness of water. So he says that Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and by blood. So you already know the second one. He came by water and the blood. Not water only, but water and by blood. And so water is referring to the baptism of Jesus. The baptism of Jesus is recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels, and it's alluded to in the gospel of John, uh, but not, not described in detail. But, but Matthew is a unique. His recording of it is unique because in, in Luke and in Mark, when God comes and, and says this, uh, and, and we'll look at verse 17 first before we get there, actually. Let's, let's go ahead and read. Matthew chapter 3 and verse, uh, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. And Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized, and when Jesus was baptized, he, immediately, he went up immediately from the water, and the heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So in this case, John is witnessing this. John the Baptist is witnessing, and he is the one who hears, This is my beloved Son. Now, in Mark and Luke, it's Jesus who's the one who's hearing this, and he says, you are my beloved son. But here, this is an external witness for us, because John the Baptist has been a witness to it, who said, heard God say, this is my beloved son. And so the witness of the water makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is the Son of God. And he did not become the Christ at his baptism, but he was already the beloved son, who had already lived a life of perfection prior to the Holy Spirit's anointing on him at his baptism, and God was already well pleased with him. And so we have the witness of the water. We also have the witness of the blood. The witness of the blood. Now the word translated here as blood could also mean bloodshed. And so I believe it's referring to the blood that Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary. And it testifies that Jesus indeed died on the cross. The blood was present in abundance at the crucifixion. You know, we'll, we'll watch, watch it on media or in, in TV and movies, or we'll, we'll see it uh, in paintings, but 
I, I don't think we do it justice in showing the, the, the gruesome, how gruesome the passion was. I, I believe it's often downplayed because we, we couldn't stomach it to see it so frequently, but it was a bloody mess. Think about it. Jesus was, Jesus was scourged with a cat of nine tails before he even made it to the cross. So he was already a bloody mess because he received 39 lashes. And then, in addition to that, there was a crown of thorns that was shoved down on his head that caused the blood to stream down his face. And then nails were driven in his, his arms and his legs, his hands and his feet. And his blood was drained until it says in John chapter 19, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He had lost so much blood that there was water pouring out of his wound. It was a bloody mess, and the blood bears witness that Jesus bore the burden of Calvary. And he died a cruel death on the cross, and he was dead, and he was placed in a tomb because he was dead. And so the blood witnesses that Jesus is the Christ who died. He's not just the Christ who lived and the Holy Spirit left him when it came time for the cross, but, but that he was the Christ even in that pain. So we see the witness of the blood. We also see the witness of the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Spirit. I would say this is probably the most important witness, the, the chief witness, for the Holy Spirit is the witness that is sent from the Father and the Son he is the third person of the triune God, so he is God himself. And because he is God himself, he cannot lie. He cannot lie. To lie would be against his nature. And notice that John says the Spirit is the truth. Because the Spirit is the truth, he testifies. So John's no longer stressing that he's an apostle and he has apostolic authority and an apostolic testimony. But now the testimony of God himself comes to us through the Holy Spirit. And since the Holy Spirit cannot lie, his testimony about Christ has to be true. And Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit would testify concerning him. He said in John 1526, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And the witness of the Holy Spirit reveals the significance of Jesus coming. He testifies in our hearts and our minds the truth of these things that we read about. And he, he draws men and women to salvation. He enables the proclamation of the gospel. He empowers people to live the gospel life, to live according to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is, in effect, the first witness to testify to Jesus regarding His salvation. It is only through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that one can come to know the truth about Jesus. So we must be praying for those who don't know the truth. The Holy Spirit will work in their lives. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit was present at the conception of Christ. If you look at Matthew one twenty, he was there and he, he, told, he told, uh, told Joseph, 
So don't divorce your wife, for she has been impregnated by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was present at the baptism of Christ. We already saw as we read, but the, the, the Spirit of the Lord came down in the form of a dove to rest on Jesus. And so all three were present, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, at, at the baptism of Christ. He was actively present during the earthly life and ministry of Christ. Uh, he empowered Christ to perform mighty acts of God. And we, we see littered throughout the scriptures, what, what God's able, what Jesus is able to do by the power of the Spirit. And it, it says several times that it's because of the Spirit that He's able to do this. But then look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God? And so... He was even present at the crucifixion of Christ. And that's one of the things that the Gnostic teachers were saying is that the, the, the Christ came upon Jesus, the, the man, and they're, they're separating the two, that the, the Christ came upon Jesus at the baptism, but that he left before the crucifixion. But, but clearly, Hebrews 9, 14 says, it was through the eternal spirit that he offered himself without blemish to the Lord, to, his, to the Father to cleanse us from our consciousness, from dead works, so that we can then serve the living God. So the, the Spirit of Christ was, was not something that came upon him at baptism and left at, at the crucifixion, but that this was actually who he was, Jesus the Christ, man and God. The Holy Spirit is the power of the resurrection of Christ. Romans 8.11 tells us that it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that God rose Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit was coexistent with the Father and He was coexistent with the Son for all of eternity before the Incarnation. And then He was present with Christ during the Incarnation. And now He is present with all, with the Father and the Son in heaven after the Incarnation. And He will be for all of eternity present with them. The Holy Spirit of God testifies that Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the son of Mary, who was a virgin, is also the son of God, and that he is the Christ who laid down his life as the sacrificial lamb to provide for the atonement that was needed from the wrath of God to save us from our sins. He laid down his life on behalf of of sinners like you and like me, so that we could be saved. And His was the only death that could possibly pay that atonement. See, man had died over and over and over. Every man dies from Adam on because Adam sinned. And we needed a sufficient sacrifice. And the only sacrifice that was worthy to pay the penalty for all was the Son of God, the Christ, the perfect man. And so it was His death that paid the penalty for you and for me. Jesus is the Christ who was crucified for God's purpose to save us. And Jesus did so willingly. He willingly laid down His life in perfect obedience to the Father to save us from our sins. 
And so these three witnesses established the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, I don't want to get off too far on this, but I know a lot of you are probably reading the King James Version, and so you're looking and you're going, there's a lot more verses there than what you covered. And I want us to just take a moment here to compare the, the Christian Standard Bible with the King James Version. So the CSB says, For there are three that testify the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. The King James Version says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, and there are, also, there, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Now, what I want to point out to you is something that the, probably the average person does not know. The King James Version and all those versions that are derived from it translate from the Textus Receptus, uh, which was a, a collection or is a collection of Greek manuscripts. Now, since the time of the writing of the King James Version, there have been new discoveries made of older manuscripts, older Greek manuscripts, and many of those do not contain the verse that talks about the Trinity in such a blatant detail. Now, the Holy Spirit, or, or the Trinity, is implied throughout Scripture. But there is not a single case in these older documents. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. There there, these older documents do not contain this verse that so clearly says the nature of the Trinity. And there was not a single case of the church fathers when they were fighting for the, the, the authority to say that, to, that the Holy Spirit and, and the Trinity was, in, in fact, the case. Not a single one of the church fathers pointed back to this verse to say, it says clearly, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, these three are one. Because it's not in the Greek. It was a side note in the Texas Receptus. And so, most biblical scholars have concluded that while the statement about the Trinity is absolutely true, that verse was not contained in the original manuscripts. And so... Many more modern translations, because of having older Greek manuscripts to look at, have dropped uh, that verse 7 and condensed it down. Uh, so, um, also want to mention that the reading of it is just not consistent with the, the way the, the rest of the verse, the rest of the passage goes. So, the internal evidence is also uh, not quite, something's not quite right there. And so, modern translations do not include that. So, I did want to take just a moment to explain uh, why maybe it seemed like I was skipping over a big passage uh, that seems so important, but I, it's not actually in the Greek. And um, so, there, there you are. All right, let's continue reading in verse 9. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. 
The one who does not believe, God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony of God has given about his son. So God has not only presented these external witnesses, but God also presents an internal witness to us. God presents an internal witness. John has presented his readers with a pretty solid case of external witnesses, external testimonies, and, and we're willing to condemn a man to death based on three witnesses to his guilt. Yet here God has granted three testimonies to the nature, excuse me, to the nature of Christ, and yet men won't accept it. You know, God's testimony is much greater than our testimony, and John says this. Isn't God much greater? Isn't his testimony worth more? Yet, he gives this testimony regarding his own son, whom he is intimately more uh, intimate, has a greater intimate knowledge with him than any human being has ever had with anybody else. And, and yet, we reject what God says. And so, he grants this internal witness as an assurance to those of us who believe. Look at the Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but instead you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so he gives us this, this assurance. The Spirit gives us an assurance of salvation that we belong to God. The basis of the truth of Jesus Christ is the testimony of God himself. And God himself has told you that Jesus is the Messiah. And he assures us by the same spirit that we are his children. And to refuse this blasphemy is to call God a liar. And that's what, when you, when you reject what God has said about his son, you're calling God a liar. This is the ultimate form of blasphemy. Look at Hebrews Chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, God himself, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And after so, after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something that is greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, who we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. And we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. God has presented a threefold external witness, but the internal witness of the believer, it turns us into a fourth witness. We who have been saved by the power of Christ are being transformed by the power of the Spirit, and we testify in addition to these of what God has done for us through Christ Jesus our Lord. God always provides more than we need. He always provides an abundance above and beyond. And yet, people still reject the truth. We have four solid witnesses that are saying, Jesus is the Christ. And yet, 
false teaching is even more prevalent today than what it was in John's day. But notice what he says. Notice what John says to those who believe. Verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So God testifies to life through His Son, Jesus Christ. God testifies to life. See, eternal life is not about us being good enough to earn our way. That's what the world teaches. You have to be good enough to get to God. But we can never be good enough to get to God. It's not about us being good. It's about Christ being God. John's word here is if we possess Christ, we have eternal life. But really, it's more about if Christ possesses you. Look at John 6. John 6, verse 57. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Life comes from God. It comes from God the Father. It is shared, he says, I live because of the Father. It is shared by the Son who lives because of the Father. And Jesus said it is through him and him alone that you can have access to the Father. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way, the only way that we have eternal life is through Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the Son of God. Through Jesus, life is mediated to everyone who will make it their own by repenting of their sin and by faith in Jesus as Christ, the Son of God. Life flows from the Father through the Son to us who believe in the testimony of God. I think C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. The Lord. God the Father put forth this testimony, His testimony, regarding His Son. So, which do you believe Jesus to be? Is He a liar? Is He a lunatic? Or is He the Lord? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank You that You provided Your Son to us to be the Christ, the anointed one, that you sent your spirit to anoint him as the one who would provide the salvation of our souls, to provide for the redemption of our bodies, to provide the atonement needed because of our great sin against you. God, we rebelled against you. We rebelled against your law. We rebelled against your love. We ran away from you, and yet you came running for us. God, while other religions teach us that we have to work to get to you, you came to us in the form of a man who lived a holy and perfect life, and yet willingly was handed over to evil man who put him to death on a cruel cross, 
And yet he was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit on the third day to bring us salvation. That he would be the first fruits. That we might have the redemption. We might have the resurrection to live as children of God. Father, help us to be a witness in addition to these witnesses. And God, I pray if there's any that have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, they would place their faith and trust in Him. God, we lift this up to you. In His holy and precious name, by the power of your Spirit, amen.